Jim Shoemaker and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities Dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. Whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern is always money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Well, today we have a program that I think is going to be one of those that will provide a lot of information for you. And at the same time, we hope that it's uh, entertaining because we have Karen Vogelsing that's going to be on the second half of the program. And she is going to talk about something that is so important to our city. And I think it's critical. It's called Arise to Read. It's teaching that third grader in our Shelby County system how to read. You don't want to miss that part of the program. That's coming up last. But first and foremost, a frequent guest of ours, of course, Mr. Scott Jordan, certified financial planner. Scott, welcome to the program, sir. Great to be here, Jim. You know, Scott, you know, we are always talking about finances and money. And when I talk about, you know, information, educational, entertaining, I don't know if we can make finances entertaining. Can you? Do you think that's possible? I, mean, I think we do an extremely good job. Oh, do we? Fun. Do we? Okay. Dog and pony show, <laughs> huh? Where's the pony today? Hey, I, there's a ser- serious subject that's going on in our city, and it's kind of a, a thought process that a lot of people are having. Face it, we've been listening to the news recently and about this volatility that's in the market. A lot of people are concerned about that. They've experienced this sell-off and inflation that seems to be the culprit. But inflation not only affects the market, all of a sudden we're finding that there's a uh, little bit of a slowdown in the market for a home today. People aren't just running to buy. You don't go buy a house and there's 20 people in front of you. That seems to be a good thing. Well, it certainly can be. Speaking from experience of someone who had the pleasure of buying a new home last <laughs> October, it was a, a very, very... <laughs> Very interesting process. You you had a lot of competition out there for homes. So I think a little slowdown could be a good thing. So we've had a seller's market for two years, two and a half years, three years. I mean, it's yeah. just been amazing. Not a lot of inventory and reasonable, very low interest rates. And people had a lot of money, you know, discretionary money. And so there was this huge move to buy. And when you have, you know, a low inventory, it was becoming very much of a seller's market. Do you see that beginning to shift a little bit to a buyer's market? Well, we have seen that start to turn. I don't know if I would use the word buyer's market yet, but it does seem to be slowing down a little. And like we said, that can be a good thing. Now, so housing is something we keep a close eye on because that drives so much of the rest of the economy. I think anybody that owns a house will understand kind of the reasons behind that because there's so many different expenses and things that go along with home ownership is such a driver of the economy. So some we pay close attention to, but uh, you know, like I said, I think some, we've seen those prices just go up and up and up. And there comes a point where, you know, if, if housing prices are running so far ahead of wage increases, that's just not sustainable long-term. Well, we want to talk about wage increase in a few minutes when we dive into that thought process of inflation, interest rates, and the big R word recession. But I know that what we hear from the National Association of Realtors, that there seems still to be a significant shortage in inventory in, across the nation and in Memphis. And most economists are in participating that the prices are still going to remain high. But with interest rates going up, we now see the national average for a 
30-year mortgage is about around 6%. Yeah, and those are rates we really hadn't seen since back in the 03 to 07 era. So these these rates are much higher than we've seen in recent years. And, you know, there's kind of an in, inverse relationship, if you will, between those interest rates and the affordability of home prices. So if we're having to, as home buyers, pay more in interest payments, well, that's less house we can afford to buy. So it, it would stand a reason that that would affect so, uh, the price at some point. But I think you got to look, going back, you know, coming out of the 08, 09 crisis, there was a significant underbuilding in homes over the next decade. So I think inventories are still relatively low. So that could offset some of the decrease in demand. Um, And like I said, that could be a good thing. You know, it could be a good thing that demand is going down a lot. Well, I understand the the good thing. The reality is, you know, you're talking about the slowdown of builders. I mean, you know, bottom line is construction building materials. Since the beginning of the pandemic, let's go back to, let's say, March, April of 2020 through March, April of 2022, we'd seen almost a 70% increase in building materials. And that's that's still a big number. That is a big number. That's a a lot of, and the problem with that, when when you think through that and understand that process of what that really means, I mean... It, it is, it's hard to say, if I got to build a house, am I willing to pay that much? And that's the problem we've got. And I mean, but yeah, I know this, when I look at numbers and then we go through all these numbers and I think home prices have consistently increased in the United States over the last 43 months. That's a, that's a long period of time. I mean, whether you like it or not, we're looking at almost four years. So when you see this little bit of adjustment, maybe that's kind of letting some of the price, you know, the pressure off the home buyer. Yeah, I think that very, very well could be the case. And, you know, really the the price increases off the level, the price increase we've seen over the last couple of years, you know, that's not sustainable. So, uh, again, like you said, some of that pressure coming out of the market could, you know, lead to more affordable homes for people. Yeah, I think that's been some of the reality that we've been looking at. I know the construction cost, that was a Bureau of Labor Statistics. They came out with that number. And again, when you see this 43 consecutive months, that's also the Federal Housing Finance Agency that's talked about that and given us that data. So it's not data that we just reach up in the sky and pull out. This is data that's being repeated, written down, studied. And is that not an indication that inflation as we talk about it, is that not part of inflation? Is that what's causing some of that inflation? Oh, I think that is definitely a result of inflation. And, and when you think about, you know, a lot of builders are, are smaller businesses and, and they're, you know, having to, it takes a while to build a house and they're having to, to plan ahead and think about, okay, I'm going to build this house in this neighborhood. Here's what I think I may be able to get to the house. And, and what are my building costs? And when you see you know, prices jump that much over a short period of time. That makes it very hard to plan. I think you see that. We saw, I was looking uh, this morning at the uh, leading economic indicators and building permits have ticked down a little bit, uh, even though there's still a a major shortage in supply. And um, I don't know fully the reason for that, but I think some of it's got to be that hard to plan cost increases and and kind of wanting to take a wait and see approach how this thing's going to go i was talking to one home builder and he said you know i started a home in the early part of march of 2020 and he said the i I really had to almost have a weekly meeting with the home buyer Mm -hmm. and uh, the the person he was building the home for he said because i would price a board 
And he right. said, it would, you know, I'd have to go. He said, it's up 22%. Uh, it's up 43%. I mean, it was like, you know, a movement in the stock market. I mean, right. the price of building materials. So that's really a tough thing. But the market is still incredibly strong. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think people have to understand that. If you're listing a house for, you know, that normal market price that you would have thought, that's still, you're still getting able to sell that house at that price. Maybe not as quick i mean face it we were kind of kidding each other a couple of months ago talking about this yeah. reality you know if you put the market on them you <laughs> sold it you know within an hour right it may take a week or longer now but you still got a huge demand for homes when do you think that interest rate is going to bring that to the tipping point and you see it stop boy i don't know that's uh i think that's the question everybody's kind of waiting to see how that works out you know well you know when we're seeing rates go up um you know rates prior to this year were you know sub three percent so now we're looking at six percent that's almost a double in interest rate um now people have to have a place to live so you know it kind of kind of goes with okay i got to move somewhere but when does that start to affect prices and i think that's something we're keeping a close eye on and and like you said, I don't. I, the market's still strong. I, you know, instead of maybe twenty offers in a weekend showing, you only get three or so. It's not. It's not like the demand has completely gone away. So we're still seeing a pretty strong demand for real estate out there. All right. Now let me ask this question because this came in. When you remind people, if you've got a question for us, send it to Talk Money at Shoemaker Financial Financial dot com. Talk Money at Shoemaker Financial dot com. If you got any question for us, here's the question. Somebody was talking about. And he was buying second home. He had all kinds of things. The reality, he, he was, to summarize his question, should I buy it now or should I wait to interest rates come back down? Wow. <laughs> That's one of those, you That's know. That's a great that, question. How's your crystal how you ball? Answer? Mine's yeah. a little foggy. Yeah, yeah mine's not real sure. foggy. Um, you know, that's a good question. And, and, you know, everything, as you know, in economics is supply and demand. So at some point, if, if you know, the demand for loans gets so weak that, that uh, the rates start to come back down, that may happen. But I don't know that, you know, I don't see that on the horizon in the near term. It's not going to be next week, in other words. I don't think so. All right. But, I don't, you know, I don't like to try to predict interest rates. That's, <laughs> that's a tough one. Well, I, I don't think anybody saw us moving up this quickly this year. We all kind of anticipated the direction was up, but we've we've moved up pretty significantly this year. And we haven't caught up yet. That's not going to be, that's over. So let's talk about three subjects that I think is on everybody's mind. And it's a big subject. And we talk about real estate, that fits your pocket, whether or not, you know, someone makes that decision to buy. I mean, I was talking to a mortgage lender and his, let me just read what he sent me and said to me, my least favorite thing in the world to do is to have to call a buyer that I've been working with for weeks or months getting ready to purchase and now have to tell them they're no longer qualified. The loan, the loan, uh, because of, I mean, he says, because of something that was totally out of their control. And I feel that. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a tough, tough decision. That's but tough. All of a sudden, that price of that home went up a little bit and the interest rates goes up, but the mortgage payment was $1,200 a, a month. And now it's $1,700 a month. You qualified for 1200 right. You don't qualify for 1700 all right. With that thought, inflation, big problem. It seems to be a big problem. It continues to create volatility in the market. Inflation's creating some of this rising interest rates. Interest rates, that's a second big deal. And, of course, as everybody's talking about, the coming recession. And, again, I want to kind of tie all those together and tie it with real estate. But 
We have seen, of course, listening to the local news, you know, everybody's talking about the continued volatility in the market, the whole idea behind the sell-off and inflation. Inflation seems to be the culprit that is creating a lot of angst with the investors. So look at what we got on Friday the 10th. We got this increase in inflation, 8.6% that got everybody's attention. But high inflation is a symptom. I mean, Scott, you know that. It's a symptom of an economy that's in tra tra transition. Yes. What's it mean? Well, it means there's a significant imbalance between supply and demand. Now, let's let's talk about where we're coming out of. We, we're coming out of a situation where, you know, we were dealing with a pandemic that we haven't had to deal with in a while. So people weren't able to go to work in many instances. A lot of workers were staying home either to avoid getting the uh, virus or because they had the virus. So we had a situation where you know, the production of goods and services was, was slowing because not as many people could go to work. And we have an increase in the money supply. So the very definition of inflation, you know, you have too much money chasing too few goods. So it was, it was kind of predictable, but it's, uh, it's gotten a little higher than I think most people anticipated. And I understand that. And I, that, that's something, I mean, we hear that, that's a, that we talk about that, but now let me say this, when we look at the reality, supply and demand out of sync, no question. We understand that. I mean, all you have to do is go to the grocery store and realize your, you know, supply and demand's out of sync. Now, but the last job report that we got from the United States government, I mean, is simply saying that unemployment is at 3.6% back near pre-pandemic levels. I mean, we're right. talking about 3.6%. If you want a job, there's a job. There's constant demand. There's more job openings or more people, you know, they're just, they're not looking for jobs. And we've had the great, re, you know, the great, res, um, but it's not recession. Resignation. Resignation. The great there resignation. you go. Thank you. Great resignation. And then if you look at it, you say, okay, we got a 3.6% unemployment rate. What we've got, that's positive. Mm -hmm. Remember, supply and demand seems to be the culprit, but we got a positive unemployment rate. And here's the thought. We've got, and this comes from Goldman Sachs, the group, they estimate that the average hourly earnings rate is on pace to increase at 5% for the rest of the year. Average, that's, I mean, think about it, the hours, hourly earning rate increasing at 5% for the rest of the year. That's the fastest increase that we've seen in the last since 1980s, early 80s, during that inflationary period. And when you when you think deeply about that, that's part of what's causing the problem, right? Everybody is back to work now. Well, most people are back to work now. And, you know, I saw somewhere in statistics that there's currently two job openings for every uh, job seeker out there. So we have a situation where, I mean, I don't know if you call that full employment by the Fed's definition or not, but it's pretty close. So we have people earning uh, but we still are having supply problems uh, because even though we put people back to work, we're playing catch up. And we also have to import a lot of stuff globally. And some of the places we import our goods from have not gotten back up to full speed yet. So that is part of what's causing that supply imbalance is we do have full unemployment. But the goods and, and most of the inflation we're seeing, well, we're seeing on both sides, but mostly still on the goods side. You know, you have goods and services, and we're still seeing that goods inflation go up significantly. And I think inflation, as we all talk about this, it's difficult to get it under control. There's it no is. question about well, that. Once but you're behind the eight ball, once it, you're behind the curve, it's, it's it's hard to catch up. I heard it the other day mentioned that which is worse, inflation or recession? And, and this particular economist was hammering that inflation out of control 
is more damaging than a recession. We know how to work our way out yeah. of a recession, but if we can't let inflation get just going, then price, I mean, it really does cripple it, us it, big yeah, time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, they call it the silent thief because yeah. it, it is stealing your purchasing power, you know, or the Cross silent the tax or however you want to word that. Um, but that is that is something that we do need to get under control. I think, you know, his question, uh, the, the listener's question was good, which is worse, recession or inflation? I think if inflation remains out of control, a, refresh, a recession becomes kind of a foregone conclusion. And that, that tends to start to cure some of those imbalances. Well, we talk about rising interest rates with the Fed moving to, to slow the economy, which is what they're trying to do, create this idea of a, you know, a soft landing and, and controlling inflation, avoiding a difficult recession. That's what they're trying to do by doing the interest rate increases. We understand that, 75 basis points. But when we talk about a recession, people immediately think about losing their job, worrying about their personal finances, and having to cut back on spending. But we've got a huge, I mean, there's an enormous savings. You know, we've got, we're saving a lot of money. We did it during the pandemic. We're not saving as much as we were, but there's still a large cash balance on balance sheets for individual consumers. Absolutely. And really, the consumer was very optimistic, but that shift, all of a sudden, the consumer has said, nope, not good. I don't have my the consumer confidence is now turned down. It's, it's turned down, and I even saw the survey of small business owners. The confidence is turned down for them as well, although 51% of them plan on hiring new workers in the coming months. So there's a little little disjointedness in that information. But I, I want to kind of lay the case for the possibility of the soft landing that the Fed's trying to engineer, and you kind of just hit on it. First of all, they expect layoffs to be low during this tightening um, th- during this tightening cycle because of what we just talked about. You know, unemployment's low right now, but there's also two job openings for every worker seeking a job. So the, the thinking there is, yeah, well, there may be fewer job openings, but not as many layoffs. And then you also mentioned that corporate balance sheets and consumer balance sheets are extremely strong going into this. All right. I appreciate you saying that. So let's talk about for just a few minutes we've got left in this segment of the program. And you're listening to Scott Jordan, Certified Financial Planner. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. We're going through this idea of what's really happening. We talked about real estate and how it is affecting. If you were thinking about buying a home, still imported, you still got a possibility. Then we've talked about, you know, the big recession and what we do, and things are positive. And, and there is some optimism here. Now, but let's talk about person's 401k plan. They're investing for their college education for the kids. Talk about what you consider to be some basic long-term strategy in for their investing. Well, I think, you know, going through times like we're going through right now, we've seen a lot of market volatility this year. We we're hit we hit the uh, proverbial bear market territory. You know, the market has dropped below the 20% mark of its previous high, which is defines a bear market. So it can be very, very, very unsettling to go through times like this. And I don't diminish the, the anxiety that these kind of times cause. But as you and I know, Jim, from being longtime investors, this is a normal part of the investment process. You're going to go through these times. So, you know, what I would say to the 401k investor, what I would say to the person invested for their college education is, first of all, these are long term strategies, Uh, you know, having a strategy put in place and sticking with it during this different difficult time is how you will be a successful investor. So it's all about trying to define what you're trying to accomplish 
and establishing a well-defined principal-guided investment plan in order to accomplish that. You know, you've used this term in other programs that we've done together, and we've done a lot of programs together. I, I like what you say when you talk about portfolio construction and the eye of having a, a kind of a overall strategy and, you know, their storms are coming and, you know, you can't storms prevent the sto- storms, but you can get through them if you've got a long-term strategy. But you always say something called the why. What, I want you to talk about that in about a minute. <laughs> wow. That's that's not a lot. Well, the why is, is really trying to define what you're trying to accomplish, right? Whether it's I, I want to, you know, reach a level of financial independence. I'm looking to buy a second property. I need to educate my kids. Whatever that goal is you're trying to accomplish, that can be quantified. We can We can say, okay, this should cost about this much by making some, you know, projections using inflation rates and things like that. Well, then it's all about designing a portfolio that has a history of producing the kind of returns that you need in order to meet that objective. Having that why in place is what helps you ride through these difficult times because you know what you're trying to accomplish, you know what it takes to accomplish, and you know that you can look at this portfolio and through all the ups and downs and the twists and turns and crisis of the day, the portfolio has historically produced the kind of returns that you need. Now, we always say past performance is no guarantee of what's going to happen in the future, but that does give you some perspective of, of what to look at and what to expect. Well, I want to come back and talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes. But I want to remind you, Karen Bogelsing is going to be with us in just a few minutes. We're going to be talking to her about Arise to Read, a program that is having a tremendous effect here in our lovely city of Memphis, Tennessee, Shelby County. You don't want to miss that part. Just remind you, you can always listen to our podcast. Wherever you get a podcast, listen to it. Search for the podcast, Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or recommendation. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Helping you make the most of your money. Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9. The S&P is an unmanaged index of 500 large cap stocks. Investors cannot invest in an index. Neither Shoemaker Financial nor Securian Financial Services are affiliated with Karen Vogelsang or Arise to Read. The views and opinions expressed are those of Karen Vogelsang only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securian Financial Services, Inc. or Shoemaker Financial. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Thank you so much for listening this morning. We appreciate the fact that you are a part of our program. And, of course, you know this. We are for you. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Search for Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. It would be most appreciated. We're talking with Scott Jordan, Certified Financial Planner. We've been discussing some of the issues that are going on in the economy, whether it's inflation, interest rates going up, uh, the whole idea behind a recession. Are we going to have one? What does that do? If you were thinking about buying a home, we talked at the beginning of the program, real estate and the fact that maybe we're seeing it shifting from a seller's market to possibly a little more, I guess, uh, equalization with the rates going up a little bit. If you can buy the home, you can afford it. 
maybe it'll be a little better for the buyer in the next couple of months, maybe a year or so. We'll see how that works out. But just remind you that if you need to ask a question, don't hesitate to ask us. Just simply send it to Talk Money at shoemakerfinancial.com. That's talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com, and we will get your question on the air. Now, Scott, we left the break when we did. We were talking about some of this idea behind the strategy of why. Why am I doing this? Why am I investing? How do I manage all the noise that's going on? And I guess the, the thought process is all the things you've talked about. So what do you see for the near future in the next 18 months? Well, I, you know, I'm always looking at it probably with an optimistic eye, Jim. I will bet on the innovation of American and the and the great companies of the world all day long. Yes, there's a lot of uncertainty. We're going through some challenging times, but I do anticipate that we will see things get better. And the and the reason is is just from looking back at history. You know, you think about all this country's been through, all our markets go through, whether it's the we were talking about this the other day. Remember Y2K? Right. The the big scare over that. And, man, oh. that was a big deal at the time. Everybody yeah. thought that, you know, the computers weren't going to work the next day. Well, and, you know, the guy we panicking. were just discussing this with is an IT guy. Right, he right. said, you know, he knew all the programming and knew all yeah. was going to work. He still was concerned about it. Right, right. And then you fast forward to the great financial crisis, very challenging times. Banks were stressed. We saw a lot of financial upheaval during that time. But we make it through all these times and great companies get back to doing what they do, which is produce the goods and services that we love to consume as consumers. And, and I believe that is going to be the case this time as well. And we're seeing, we're see, already seeing signs of light in the economy. Like I said, we're seeing the inflation numbers. They're not necessarily ticking down yet, but they're not getting worse. And parts of the inflation numbers are getting better. So we're seeing some improvement. You know, and I think the consumer is better prepared right now. I they, think so. They got, they've got more money in their bank accounts, and they, they've got the idea of they're working if they want a job. They're working. You know, we talked about the fact that we see that the uh, hourly wage is increasing at that 5% rate. We hadn't seen that in a long time. And I think the sell-off does create but that's a reset of the economy. It is. And it's going to take that possibly to get things under control. You know what? I, there's, a, there's a quote from Sir John Templeton that I, you know, we talk about this all the time. And the quote says, the investor who says this time is different has uttered the four most costly words in the annals of investing. Truer words have never been never spoken. been said. I love it. That's the whole thought. But Scott, thanks so much. We think about this. The thought process is we've been here before. And we'll get through this time again. No Absolutely. problem. No doubt about it. Well, thank you, sir. Let me introduce our next guest. Uh, she is a lady that's been with us several times, and she is dedicated to making a difference in our city. This is Karen Vogelsing. She's the executive director of Arise to Read. Now, let me say Arise, the letter two, or the number two, read. Rise to Read. I mean, phenomenal results in our city. Lady, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Jim. Glad to be back. Well, you know, it, it's always a pleasure to have you because you are you are doing things in our city that is no doubt about making a difference and changing a lot of people's trajectory of where they're headed. But recently, I'm going to start with this, recently you got an award sure because did. of what you did. What was this award? <laughs> Well, I don't want to say it's just because of what I did. It's because of the amazing um, team I get to work with at Arise to Read. But uh, Porter Leith Books from Birth um, is a very important organization here in our city. Uh, they have partnered with and are part of the Dolly Parton uh, Foundation and the Governor's Early Literacy Foundation. And each year they give an award uh, 
for A.C. Wharton Junior Literacy Award for just making a difference for children in our city. And uh, this year I was the recipient of that award, and it was uh, really quite an honor to, to receive such a, a distinguished award. Well, you deserve every, every bit of that praise Thank because you. bottom line is you are getting amazing results. And uh, your background is that of a teacher. Yes. I mean, this is not something you just started a couple of no. years ago. <laughs> You've been in this. So how long were you a teacher in the classroom? I was a teacher for 15 years. I was, I was a second career teacher. I spent 14 years in banking before the Lord called me to the classroom and then um, – I spent the first four years in suburban education, followed my assistant principal to Fraser when she became a principal at a school out there, and fell in love with urban education and just have loved all things education, taught first through fourth grades for 15 years. You know, you could tell that just by talking to you that you are, this is a commitment, this is a heartfelt, you said the Lord called you, that's such a such a viable part to what your ministry is all about. So let me ask this question. How many students in our city does Arise or Read support? And I'm interested in the results. I'm sure our people listening are interested in the results because I really, I think this is, people say, well, wait a minute, Jim, I thought this was a financial show. Well, we're talking about Memphis economics here. Yeah. Because the trajectory, if a person learns to read, that changes their life. Changes that, everything. Everything. So yeah. what, are, what are you, how many students, what's been the results? So let me talk about the number of students in two different ways. So pre-COVID, we were providing books for 4,000 students in greater Shelby County, not just Memphis, um, Shelby County schools, but in other schools throughout the county. And uh, Pre-COVID, we were supporting nearly 1,300 students with the academic tutoring support. We don't use the word tutoring. We use the word coaching. Of course, then COVID came along. And this past year, schools reopened. We were able to get back into the, into the schools, into the classrooms. But we had a lot of volunteers, obviously, very concerned about being back inside the schools with the pandemic still in full swing. So while we weren't able to support as many students this year, we were able to support approximately 500 students in 26 different schools throughout the county. Um, and we were able to provide books for 2,500 students throughout the county. So 26 schools, mm -hmm. 500. Okay. So what I'm hearing, the disparity there is, you know, the difference. You need volunteers. Need volunteers. Volunteers, are, what does a volunteer actually do? Now, let's make sure that everybody listening, I want you to pay attention to what Karen's about to say. A volunteer is someone who is doesn't have to be a school teacher. Absolutely does not have to be a school teacher. May have teacher. never been in the classroom. Never. Okay, so Absolutely. they could be like Scott and myself yeah. and Tyler, our producer. I can recruit the you three know? of y'all today. Okay, right. <laughs> I feel the pressure. No, no, no pressure. This is a calling, though. This is where you want to go into the, a classroom and make a difference. So what are you looking for? Well, you know, you're not just making a difference for a child you're making a difference for the memphis community because if you think about it the first hurdle to get over in life is high school graduation but for uh, for a child to graduate we've got to get them reading on grade level by the end of third grade so what a volunteer does is we spend an hour training them that's it one hour and they're going to make a commitment to serve an hour a week typically from mid-september to early april they're going to work with the same two second grade students one each for 30 minutes on a very simple protocol and what they're going to help the children do is work on three of six foundational literacy skills. And those foundational literacy skills are high-frequency words, vocabulary, and reading comprehension. Now, saying those three words, some of y'all are probably going to think, oh, I need to have an education background. No, you don't. 
because the protocol is very, very simple. It's very engaging for the children, and you're going to help them learn these words that are critical in order to be a proficient reader. And not only are you going to help them academically, but you're going to help them socially and emotionally because Memphis is either number one or number two since I've been in this role, either number one or number two in childhood poverty in the country. And so our children need these positive role models in their life. And when they have that, their confidence improves. They see themselves as smart and capable. They get excited about reading. And let's face it, you can't get a job if you can't read. You can't get a driver's license if you can't read. So a volunteer can make just a simple commitment of an hour a week and make not only a difference for those two children, but make a difference for our community. Bring down crime, increase job opportunities, invite companies to come to Memphis and set up their businesses here. But we've got to have an educated workforce in order to do that. You know, I know most of you listening would not think that this is important, but when you say Memphis is number one and number two in this particular category where they're not readers, that is a huge problem for our city. So now listen to me. If you really are interested in making a difference in our city, you can throw money at things all day long. This is We do that. I mean, I understand that. If you're financially capable, we talk about that. We talk about philanthropy. This is a great giving city. But this is boots on the ground. This is across the table with a child teaching that child how to read. And, you know, Karen, you get results. Mm. I mean, this is – talk about some of the results. Yeah. That you, I mean, pre-COVID, I know COVID's been a tough period. Right. But pre-COVID, what were some of the results you were getting? Well, you know, pre-COVID, for the – I've been in this role now for four years. And for the, for the, three, for the three years prior to COVID um, – our students were gaining an average of three grade levels of growth in sight word fluency. And that we were averaging about 30 coaching sessions for, for each student. So this year, we started a little bit later. It was kind of hard to get uh, everything organized. Um, principals and teachers, schools were understaffed. There were definitely challenges out there. So just with an average of 22 coaching sessions for all of our students, almost 500 students, the students had an average pretest score of 114, which represents an early first grade level. Their average post-test score was 427. That's an early fourth grade level. So that's a gain of 311 words. That's three grade levels of growth still with fewer coaching sessions. So, and then when you break it down and you look at the percentage of students um, that we served this past year, only 13% were on a second grade level when we pretested. When we post-tested the students in April, 67% on grade level. That's a 406% increase in the number of students reading on site were grade level. You know, that's, um, I hope you heard that. And this, when you think about a ministry, when you think about something, now, Rise to Read's been around nine years. Mm-hmm. This is not, and you actually took over as executive director four, four years four ago. Years ago. Yeah. And, you know, let me say this. If you want to talk to Karen, this is her telephone number, 901 901- Four nine seven zero six one eight. That's four nine seven zero six one eight. You can go to send her an email to Karen V at it's V as in Vogel saying. Got it. <laughs> uh, and rise to the number two read dot org. Yeah. Now listen, 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 listen. Just this, this is very important. You want to make a difference in a city. Obviously, we can give money. That's important. That's why we talk about things that we should be doing for our our city. We're we're proud of our city. But you want to make an economic change to a city is take children that are in their, 
I mean, this is a second-generation poverty child that no one at home is helping him to read. And all of a sudden, this is somebody who steps into the classroom and spends I an enormous not a not an enormous amount mm-hmm. of time, nope. but a just quality time. Yeah, quality time. Face to face, face to one. You know, I had we. I know a couple of your volunteers, not a couple, a lot of your volunteers, and I love the fact that what they say to me is when they walk into the classroom, the student comes out of their chair and they get a big hug. Yeah. These kids love the fact that somebody's taking. A very big interest in them. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's and that's what keeps our volunteers coming back. We have like an 86% retention rate, you know, pre-COVID of our volunteers coming back. And they're not coming back necessarily. They're not going to see the same student because they're going to be working with two new second graders. Um, but the relationship that the volunteers build with the kiddos is just incredible. And when those children walk through the door for their coaching session and they see their volunteer, their faces light up. And, you know, you think about this technology-driven world. If you think about when you go out to a restaurant and you look at a family, what, unfortunately, are many of the family members sitting at that table doing? They're staring at a device. They're not having a conversation with each other. If you want to light up those neuronal circuits that are in a child's brain, sit down and have a conversation with them. That's what makes true connections. And so for many of our children, they're coming from very challenging family situations. Not all of them, but many of them are. And as a result of our volunteers coming in and working with children one-to-one, they're having conversations. They're learning at the same time. They're engaging about what's going on in their lives as well. So they make these deep connections. And that's what keeps the volunteers coming back. And that's what provides that social-emotional support for the children. I know you were telling me about a young man that you actually spent some time with when he was in the second grade. Now he's a fifth grader. What did he tell you? Oh, wow. So I get to share my story about Keegan. I wish you all could see my face because I know my (laughs) face is lit up right now. Just lit up. It did. Yeah. So three years ago, we were supporting students at North Haven, and we had trouble getting volunteers at North Haven Elementary. So I was actually coaching out there, and one of the volunteers um, that was sitting behind me was working with a young man named Keegan. And when he started, we weren't able to start until early December that year because we had trouble getting volunteers. And so um, Keegan was working with his volunteer, and about late February, the volunteer came to me and said, Uh, He's learned all 1,000 words. And I was like, no, that's not possible. You know, this is a kiddo that wasn't even at a second grade level in the middle of second grade. And I said, look, I want you to go back and review the words. So she went back and reviewed the words that he had missed to make sure that that he had really mastered them. So when she got finished with that, she came back like three weeks later and said, he's mastered those words. I'm like, all right, let's post-test him. We post-tested him. His post-test score was 997. He had gained over seven grade levels of, wow. of uh, word reading fluency. So then so, she said, so "Let me say this now. I mean, here's a kid that was below seven, second grade below level, below second grade level, and he mastered the the words, yeah. uh, you know, and now moved up how far? Uh, over seven grade levels of growth. So in a very short period of time, whip, he just very capable, coaching. just needed that one to one support, right? You've changed and, his life." Well, not only, yeah, in a lot of ways. And uh, the, the other part that was just so fascinating was, um, uh, or obviously we still had time before the end of the program that year. So she's like, what do I do? And I said, y'all spend time reading. <laughs> so he picked out books that he was interested in and they spent time reading. When we had our volunteer appreciation event at the end of that year, we went out there and we filmed Keegan and the other students and some of the admin and, and whatnot. And Ke- what Keegan said has always stuck with me. He said, on the video, and you can see it on our website, you can see Keegan, but he says, 
I didn't like reading when I first started Arise to Read, but when my coach started showing me what was inside books, I couldn't get enough. What more do you have to say after that? So this past May, I was at North Haven providing teacher appreciation lunches for all the teachers on staff, and I found out that Keegan was still there, now a fifth grader. So my friend went and got Keegan, brought him back to the teacher's lounge. He immediately recognized me. It had been three years since I had seen him. And so after finding out how he was, you know, the first question I had to ask him, do you still like reading? Oh, yes, ma'am, I love it. It doesn't get any better than no, that. Because if a child falls in love with reading, they're going to keep reading. Right. And he's going to graduate on time. And then he's going to have choice. Yeah, lots of choices. Lots I of choices. I know in Shelby County, you talk about the proficiency rate. Mm-hmm. Now, Keegan is, there's a bunch of Keegans. Oh, yeah. I mean, Rise to Read has affected a lot of students. But we still have a huge a shortage. huge number. What's that number on the proficiency rate? Well, um, last year, the third through eighth grade reading proficiency rate for Shelby County at the end of the fact that the, the children weren't in school was 14%. So we know that when we look at, a th- that's, the thir- that's the third through eighth grade reading proficiency 14%, rate, only 14% and the, and the best of students. that you want is 100%. Well, um, that's just basic. Yeah, you want 100% uh, of students reading right, on grade right, level, reality, absolutely. That's probably not true, yeah. that's not possible, but 14% would not be considered to be uh, not good at all. Okay. No, I mean, we're not even looking at, at, at an average number, okay. right? I mean, really, the target is anywhere from 80 to 90% of students. I mean, okay. if you're not reading on grade level, when you go to the next grade, you're probably just going to continue to fall further behind if you don't and get that focus support. And at that point, gets so discouraged that graduating from high school becomes a challenge. Um, it, it, and for many children, it doesn't even become a challenge. It's just something that they give up on and they end up on the streets, mm-hmm. and then that's why we have the crime that we right. have. I mean, the gangs start – I had two second graders when I taught in Fraser that were already being recruited by by gang members at second grade so I mean this is very real so 14 percent and now if you look just at the third graders right now you look at the third graders from last year because the individual grade level TCAP data has not come out for this year but last year the third grade reading proficiency rate was approximately three and a half percent so only three and a half percent of our third graders last year were reading proficiently uh, it was a very challenging year for students, teachers, families, um, oh. because of trying to learn online. That was a very, very different way of learning for everybody last year. But we start a new year soon. Mm-hmm. Okay, talk about what you need. Yeah, I need warm bodies. <laughs> need warm, body. warm bodies. Um, you know, I, to, to answer your other question, too, I worked with two national researchers last year in the field of early childhood education, and they estimated that just within Memphis City, Shelby County Schools, we're looking at 4,000 second graders that could use the kind of support that our volunteers provide. If we could get 1,500 volunteers this year, we would be ecstatic. 4,000 would be amazing because there are so many students out there that need this one-to-one support. And we know from the research, from high dosage tutoring research, that the one-to-one intervention is the most effective. So when we can get a volunteer in front of a child, in front of a child, to help them become a proficient reader, it's again, it's not just going to make a difference for that child. It's also going to make a difference for us in Shelby County as a whole. Not a question. You mentioned the term high dose tutoring. Mm-hmm. That's the one on one. You know, I had a, a case of high dose tutoring as a second grader. 
uh, my mom uh, on the on the picnic table in our backyard mm-hmm. uh, tutored me. Now I will have to say there were times when I was going. I'd rather be doing a lot of other things. I bet. But uh, I wasn't a proficient reader. Yeah. I mean, I struggled. I, I I didn't find it to be that interesting. You know, go back to the interest. But she stayed at it and worked me with me and taught me and 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 really was dedicated to. It. So my mom made a difference in my life. Now we made a trip to Pennsylvania and went to the a museum and I saw a dinosaur and that just you know immediately I wanted to read everything about dinosaurs but the reality is in so many homes today you don't have that parent that can lean in and help right. like I had with my mom right yeah and it's it's not just the parents I mean I think about some of the single moms that I worked with was when I was a teacher in Fraser and they're working two and three jobs trying to make ends meet at home they might have the ability to help their children, but they don't have the time. So there's lots of different reasons why that doesn't happen. And the other thing for Arise to Read is that children have to have access to books. And that's one of the great things that we do at Arise to Read. We make sure that every second grade student in the partner schools that we work with, that they're going home with eight to 10 brand new books. And that's regardless of whether they're on our tutoring roster or not. So last year, because of incredible donors, um, we had the opportunity to provide nearly 21,000 books to those 2,500 students so that they do have the opportunity to access print at home. You know, lady, it is it is a pleasure to have you. And you're right. When you when you talk about Keegan, you talk about Rise to Read, you do light up. <laughs> you are passionate about it. Karen Vogelsing, the executive director of Rise to Read, her telephone number 497 that's Karen V at Arise, the number two read, O-R dot O-R-G. Boy, I thank you so much. Appreciate thank you, you lady. You're such a ministry. It. It's always great to know what we're doing in our city. Scott, thank you so much, sir, for what you did today. You did a great job of walking us through those things of inflation, interest rates, and recession. Always a pleasure to be here, Jim. Well, thank you, sir. We appreciate everybody being with us. And most of all, appreciate you being with us. I want to thank these guys again and thank you for being a part of our day of today's program. If you'd like to talk to Karen again, that number is 497-0618. If you'd like to talk to Scott, that telephone number is 757-5757. You can find our show, Talk Money, on Apple Podcast or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Search for Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker and subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. We appreciate that. It's very important that you do that. Next week, Steve Anderson will be with me here. We're going to talk about a market update. We're going to really dive in a little deeper into recession, interest rates, and what it does to our pocketbooks. Frank Lacarico will be here talking about what you need to know about annuities and why that's important. Scott will be back. He's going to talk about estate planning and why that's really important to the overall picture of your financial strength. Uh, That's Saturday morning at 7 o'clock and Sunday again at 12 noon. If you have questions, send them. I want to remind you to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. That's talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. I want to thank you so much for listening. Thank you, my guest again. I hope we've done a program that you found to be interesting. You know we are for you. We're here helping you make the most of your money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. This has been Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9.